God's Word, Philippians 4. Philippians chapter 4. I'm excited to be jumping back into this. Just a quick reminder, because it's been a while since we were here. In Philippians, this is a letter that Paul wrote to the little church uh, that he planted in the city of Philippi. Uh, This is a young church, young believers. It's filled with Jews and converted Gentiles are all making up this church. And as Paul writes this letter, he's writing it sitting in a prison in Rome. He's sitting in a Roman prison as he writes this letter to the church. And you go, well, why does that matter? Because most of this letter is about two things, joy in Jesus and living a life worthy of the gospel. That's what this letter is about. Joy in Jesus and living a life that is worthy of the gospel. That's what makes the reason. Paul had every reason in the world to have no joy, and yet he's telling this church, be joyful, rejoice in the Lord. Those are the verses we're going to look at today. Rejoice in the Lord. And what Paul had, so those are really the two big ideas of the letter. Rejoice in Jesus and live a life worthy of the gospel. That's the two big ideas. And when we get to chapter four now, Paul is going to begin to get very practical with us and help us see what in the world does he's going to get practical. He's practical. He's going to get down into the everydayness of life and start to give the church these great like nuggets of truth um, that you know about about things like their thought life dealing with anxiety and worry dealing with relationships sharing burdens with each other taking care of each other how does this idea of joy in Jesus and a life lived worthy of the gospel how do we get it out of the cloud of theory and get it down into the dirt of what I do every single day and that's really what Paul begins to do in chapter 4 And he starts through chapter four, he starts to give kind of this rapid fire burst of one good word after another. So what we've called this series, a good word. Um, I don't know if you ever had somebody when you were around, maybe it was a teacher or a relative or a coach, but they always just seem to be saying one awesome thing after another. And you wish you could hold on to every one of them, but you could, I know y'all, most Sundays you feel that way, but, um, (laughs) No, don't, don't, that's some nonsense. Don't clap at that. That's ridiculous. All right, and so, um, but I remember when, when I was in uh, college, I had a professor. His name was Bob Utley, and we called him Dr. Bob. And you may have heard that name. He's written books on theology and the Bible. And uh, we would have him for Old and New Testament and some other classes. And you go to Dr. Bob's class, and you always like going to Dr. Bob's class. One, he was a very interesting guy, very engaging, very high energy. And um, he always just said one awesome thing after another. So you would go into class, and he might, we might be talking about something from the New Testament, one of the letters from Paul or, or uh, something from the Gospels, maybe a historical timeline and whatever that was. But by the end of class, Dr. Bob would always bring it down to this moment, and he would begin to make it practical. And he would say, he would say, boys and girls, he called us boys and girls all the time, though some, you know, we were 19, 20 years old, boys and girls. And he would say, you can know all there is to know about all of this, but I want you to be able to answer the question, how does it make me love Jesus more? How does it make me know my call in Christ more? How does it help me walk with integrity and period? And he would get it down into the everydayness of life. And you would leave out of there and you just go, man, that was a good word. Because we got out of the cloud and we got down into the practice of it. And that's what Paul is doing here under the banner of joy and under the banner of a life lived that is worthy of the gospel. Paul gives this good word to the church. Let's look at verse 4 of Philippians 4. 
If you're there, hear, let me hear you say the Bible is true. And because that is true, we can trust these words. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And do not be anxious about anything. Remember, the Bible is true. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. So Paul is speaking to some real life stuff here. He's talking about being reasonable. Talking about anxiety. Talking about being thankful. Talking about our thought life. Our prayer life, right? And the church in Philippi needed this. They were dealing with real life stuff. They were under persecution. They were under Roman uh, domination. Paul, their friend Paul, who had planted their church, really their father in the faith, was sitting in a Roman prison. They had no idea how that was going to turn out. They were dealing with false teachers. There was division that was happening in the church. They had financial issues. They had real things they were dealing with, real issues. Your life is filled with real issues. There's real burdens you carry, financial, relational. Strife in your job, strife in your marriage, brokenness in your kids. We deal with real things. And Paul is, Paul is saying, if we're going to deal with these real things, if we're going to walk out this life of joy and this life lived worthy of the gospel, it's got to apply to the real moments of life. It's got to, if it only works on a Sunday, it doesn't work. Are you with me? It's got to work tomorrow morning when my boss, boss kicks my front door in and I'm defeated. It's got to work then. And so Paul is teaching us how do we live this life that's shaped by the gospel. Listen to me. The gospel is not something you experience one time. The gospel is something that transforms you. It transforms you. And it radically transforms how you live. So just, I want every voice in the room to hear me for a moment. The gospel is not a thing you experience one time and move on with your life. It is a thing that does a transforming work in you. You were one thing, you experienced the gospel, and now you are new. So my question, I want everybody just to answer this in your soul. Has the gospel transformed me? Was I one, but have I been born again? Have I been fundamentally changed by the gospel. Paul goes, how do we live a life changed, shaped, transformed by the gospel? He gives us two primary things and we'll spend the rest of our time unpacking it. Joy in Jesus, a life shaped by the gospel means we must have two things, a healthy heart and a holy mind. A healthy heart and a holy mind. The older I get, the more keenly aware I am of the importance of those two things, a healthy heart and a healthy mind, right? Those things start getting real important. And who else in the room can affirm they also get harder to have, right? The sharpness of your mind, the health of your body. Uh, all of a sudden, it takes more work. You young people that wake up and you never forget anything, you make me sick, all right? I'm tired of it. 
You got to have a, you know, how do we, how do we, you takes more work as you get older. Have a healthy heart and a holy mind. You got to be intentional. You got to stop doing certain things. You know, now when I go to the doctor, he's not there anymore. My doctor rarely just makes gentle, loving suggestions. He starts giving me very pointed directives. Stop doing that. Start doing this, right? You got to stop taking fried chicken and slamming it between two Krispy Kreme donuts. Quit it. It's terrible. Don't do that anymore. You know what I mean? Just <laughs> knock it off already. You, you got to, there's, there's these directives that are given. And we have to receive those if the body and the mind are going to be healthy. And Paul is going to give us some commands here of how it is that we are to live out a life and have a healthy heart and a holy mind, which is the only way you live with joy in Jesus. It's the only way. So I want to walk you through these things. The first is this. How do I have a healthy heart and a holy mind? I rejoice in the Lord no matter what. Rejoice in the Lord no matter what. Paul says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. When the Bible repeats itself, pay attention. When it repeats itself like that, lean in. Go, okay, he's not just saying be happy. There's something deeper here. Rejoice no matter what. Now, we don't have a problem with some of that. Rejoice. Yes, I love that idea. I want to do that. But Paul says we are to rejoice in the Lord. Well, what does that mean? And we are to rejoice in the Lord always. Well, now it's just starting to sound unreasonable. And yet, we affirmed God's word is true. It's true, which means it is attainable and it is applicable. So rejoice in the Lord always is attainable and applicable in and to your life. So what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord always? Because here's reality. We deal with things that... Lots of things that aren't joyful. When you lose your job, that's not joyful. Right? When your spouse is really sick. When they leave this world before they should. When your kids aren't walking with Jesus. When he's unfaithful. When she gives up. When your finances fall apart. These are not things that are joyful. They bring stress. They bring anxiety. How many of you would aff affirm with me, stress is the thief of joy? Woo! Nothing will rob your joy faster than stress and anxiety. How then does it become real for us to rejoice in the Lord always when we are experiencing things that are not joyful and bringing anxiety? Here's the first thing you've got to take hold of, and it is this. When Paul says rejoice in the Lord always... He isn't throwing out some command to be happy or to be fake joyful. Okay? Rejoice in the Lord always does not mean put on a front of joy. It does not mean you should look joyful all the time. Nobody loves the Facebook version of your life. You want to know why? Because it's not real and you can't love what isn't real. Y'all didn't like that. That's all right. <laughs> he isn't speaking about a presentation on the outside. He's speaking about a transformation produced on the inside. 
Rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in Jesus. What does it mean to be in the Lord? The Bible says if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Paul said when you come to salvation, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Being in means I am wrapped around. I am cocooned. He has surrounded me on all sides, hemmed me in, the psalmist said, in front, behind, and beside me. He's before, he's above, he's below. I am in Christ, means I am wrapped in his strength. I'm wrapped in his provision and his protection. I'm guarded with his, with his righteousness over me and his power over me. That's what it means to be in Christ. And when you are in Christ and you step into moments that are not joyful, you can have joy because you come wrapped in Jesus. You come wrapped in Christ. Rejoice in the Lord always. It's not an outward presentation. It's an inner transformation. That's what it is. And we can rejoice in the Lord always, not because we're in the right circumstances, but because we're in the right person. That's why. Relentless, constant, indestructible, inexpressible, never runs dry. Joy is not a matter of your will. It is a miracle of Jesus in your heart. Do you need that? Joy that is indestructible. Meaning, there is not a circumstance in your life that can come against it and rob it from you ever again. Do you need that? You can have that. It begins with being in Christ. And then it, it is sustained by finding joy in Christ. Joy, Jesus is now the source. He's the well that you draw from. He's the one pouring out joy. Circumstances cannot give you joy. Jesus can C.S. Lewis said this. He said, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to get wet, you must get in the water. And if you want joy, you must get into the one who has it. Country boy, campfire, get in the water, water's wet. That makes sense to me. I feel that. Right? John 15 11, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and here's what he says to them. He said, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be where? In you. <laughs> the joy of Jesus. The gospel work is, yes, about salvation, and it is also about the joy of Jesus being in you. So that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. A healthy heart and a holy mind means we rejoice in the Lord no matter what. Takes us to the next command I think we see, and that is this. With a, if we're going to have a healthy heart and a holy mind, it means we must be gracious to everyone. 
be gracious to everyone. Verse 5 says, let your reasonableness, that word reasonableness, the Greek word of that can be translated graciousness or gentleness. You may have a translation of the Bible that uses one of those words, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Be, be reasonable, be gracious to everyone. Paul says that we are to let our reasonable nature, the, our gracious spirit, our gentle responses, our patience toward others be so consistent in our life that we're known for it. You're known for this. Let it be known. It's a mark. People see you, the first thing they think is that as a gentle, reasonable, patient, gracious person. Be known for it. Now remember, Paul's in a jail right now. Every reason in the world to be hateful, spiteful, angry, ungracious, and yet he says, let your graciousness, your gentleness, be known to everyone. Believers in Jesus should never be known as easily angered. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be an ankle biter for a minute. Should never be known as easily angered. Believers in Jesus should never be marked with a quick temper. Believers in Jesus should never be known as self-assertive. They should never be known as thoughtless. They should never be known as foolish. I've heard too many, too many Christians say nonsense like, well, it's just how God made me. You say that, I'm going to tell you what I think. You know, you cross me, you get what you get. That's how God put me together. I just speak my mind. You know what that is? That's an excuse to walk in sin and an affirmation you aren't submitting to Jesus. That's what it is. It's an excuse. God did not knit you together with a short temper. Sin has done a work in your heart, and what you need is the Holy Spirit to undo it. Stop covering sinful behavior with excuses like, that's just who I am. Not if you're in Christ, it's not. Let your gentleness, your reasonableness, your graciousness, your kindness be known to everyone. The problem is in our society, we start to believe the lie that gentleness is weakness. Right? So, some of you men were even raised to believe that. Strength is getting your own way. Strength is other people being a little timid to bring up stuff around you. Strength is, is you get what, what you want. You got to get on top. You got to stay on top. Strength is actually grace and gentleness right in the middle of struggle and strife. Now, i got to be honest with you for a few minutes. This is a work that the Holy Spirit has had to do in my heart. This is a work He's had to do in my life. For, for too many years of my life, my wife, Carrie, Kelsey, Jackson, and Clayton, um, probably didn't want to bring up hard things to me. Uh, I wasn't always a safe place, to be honest. A safe place to acknowledge they had messed up. 
My fuse was short. I had unreasonable expectations. I was often impatient. And my responses to even little things would be over the top and way too much. Does anybody feel that with me? Because it's resonating with you? And I wish I could tell you that it was only in the first few years that I had my family that they dealt with this. But the reality is it's only been in the last few years that the Holy Spirit has begun to undo it. You know, you guys get to see Pastor Good Times chuckles up here sometimes. To my shame, there were years where my family lived with a different man. They lived with just a short-tempered, angry person. It wasn't, I didn't want to be that guy, but I wasn't walking with the Holy Spirit. And in the last few years, the Holy Spirit's begun to do this work. You know when it began? January of 2021. Do you know what else began in January of 2021? What would we start doing as a church? Something began to break in me as I began to consistently confess my sin, repent, ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and ask God, what do you need? What do you want to change in my life? And my children and my wife over these years, these last almost two years, have all individually affirmed something they've seen different. That doesn't make me perfect. I'm going to screw up today. I'm simply telling you, if this is an issue for you, and all you bring to it is your best effort, then all you will ever have to wage war against it is your best effort, and what you need is something supernatural. You need the presence of God. You need the Holy Spirit to do a work. You need, you need to pray. You need to pray. Anxiety, stress, fear, these things tend to be what make me an unreasonable person. <laughs> they become the blocks that I stub my toe on. Um, rarely, I, here's what I'd say, rarely when you deal with someone with a short temper, an angry person, rarely is that really the issue. Usually right behind anger is fear. There's something they're afraid of. Fear is just what, or anger is just what came through the door first. Fear is what shoves it. And that was true for me often. And because those moments of anxiety and fear and worry and stress are going to come, um, and I know those are the things that spike unreasonableness and being ungracious and being short in me, what that means is when those moments come, I have to run to Jesus. I have to run to Jesus. I have to be in his presence more than ever. I need the filling of the Holy Spirit more than ever. This brings us to the third thing. If we want to have a healthy heart and a holy mind, it means that we don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Remember, we said the Bible is true, so these are not my words. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication. 
So Paul gives this contrast now between anxiety and prayer. Do you see that? He's, he's holding both of them up as real, but he's contrast, and he's contrasting them in such a way to help us understand one of them holds sway over the other. One of them holds sway over the other. He says, believers shouldn't be anxious about anything. Well, Paul, again, is starting to feel unreasonable. This doesn't imply we live with a lack of concern. It doesn't mean we get to be careless. It doesn't mean we're going to have a worry-free life. It means believers don't have to be slaves to fear and anxiety and paranoia. Why? Because believers can speak directly to the God of the universe. And when you aren't speaking to the God of the universe, all you have is the worst-case scenario circling in your mind. How do you break free from that? How do you break free from that? Paul says you pray about everything. 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 Every fear. Every worry. Every lie the devil tells you. Every burden you have. Little to great. Pray about everything. Because prayer holds sway over anxiety. It holds sway. Most of my anxiety comes from my inability to control things in my life. Can I get a yup? That's me. Right? Did you know you can literally pray about whatever is on your mind? Anything. Paul says, in everything, pray. In everything. And I'm going to say this until our church believes it. There are things that God has promised to do in your life through prayer that he will not do apart from it. There are things he has promised to do in your life through prayer that he will not do apart from it. Prayer is the means he has given us by which he meets our needs. Pray about everything. Everything. Again, this doesn't mean life is going to be worry-free, stress-free, trouble-free. And it doesn't mean, I want you to hear me, it doesn't mean at times we don't need additional help. It doesn't mean that. There, there's times where medically we need help. You know, there, there are things that, just like I've, I've had to take blood pressure medicine in the past. There's times that there is good medicine that helps the mind function the way God did. He gives good. Did you know good medicine is a good gift? Don't you dare be ashamed if you take medicine that helps your body function the way God designed it to function. Right? Sometimes we need medic, medicine help. Sometimes we need counseling. My point is this. If anxiety and fear and worry are an issue in your life, before you bring anything else to deal with it, bring prayer to it. Open the door for God to work in it. Because it may very well be, it's an issue of trust. It's an issue of believing. It's an issue of resting in Him. It's an issue of faith that He's going to come through. It's an issue of letting go of the constant need to control those are things the Holy Spirit wants to do. Don't worry about anything 
That doesn't mean woo-hoo, loosey-goosey, carefree. It means I don't have to be shackled to anxiety because I can pray about everything. Okay? There's one more I want to give you. If we're going to have a healthy heart and a holy mind, which is the only way we live a life of joy in Jesus and worthy of the gospel. And Paul touches on this. This could have been more chapters he wrote. He kind of summarizes. If we want to have those things, we have to labor for our thought life to please the Lord. Labor for our thought life to please the Lord. Look at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, what does that mean? It's not false. It's true. Whatever is honorable, it means it's upright. Whatever is just, that means it's, it's right. We, did you know as God's people, we are called to love justice, to do justice, and to wage war against anything that is not just? Whatever is pure, what does that mean? It's clean, it's unstained. Whatever is lovely, admirable, what bringing joy to life, he says, whatever is commendable, that means it's worthy of, of godly recognition. Whatever is excellent, worthy of praise, it's virtuous. Think about these things. Meaning implied in these words are the reality that we are to avoid the things that are opposite. We are to avoid the things that are false, the things that are unclean, the things that are unjust, the things that are lacking honor, the things that are demeaning to the gospel, the things that are demeaning to the image of God on every human being. We are to keep our eyes away, our ears away, our hearts away. The suggestion here is that we do have some say over our thought life. Remember the old saying, you are what you eat? You are always being discipled by something. You're being discipled by something. Always. Every day. Every day. How do we fight for our thought life? Men. Men. How do you wage war for purity in your thought life? How do you do it? Ladies, how do you go to war with anxious thoughts? How do you wage war for purity in your thought life? How do we do it? I want to give you some quick things, and then we're going to be done. First thing is this. you got to guard your eyes and guard your ears. Whew. Guard your eyes. Guard your, you live in a world, I live in a world, where we are bombarded every day constantly with messages, images, and worldviews that are completely incompatible with the Bible. They're incompatible with the Bible. Music, images, social media, Heaven help us. Network news. Some of you are addicted to network news. So much of cable news and social media, this stuff exists to feed us what we want. And the more we consume it, the more we become it. And the way some of these people, I don't care if it's CNN or Fox, the way they talk about one another is not honorable to King Jesus. We are to constantly reject the things that do not draw us near to God. That doesn't mean every single thing you listen to or read or see in your life is inherently Christian. It means if it is drawing your heart away from the purposes and the goodness of God, then it doesn't pass the Philippians 4 test and it needs to go. 
Because while it might entertain you, it is not giving you joy in life. Leonard Ravenhill, who's a giant on prayer, said one of the reasons we need so much entertainment is because we don't really know what the joy of the Lord is. We don't know how to walk in the joy of the Lord. And so we nibble the crumbs of entertainment to keep despair at arm's length. I wonder if that's, if that's you. So we got to guard our eyes, guard our ears. Here's the next thing. Read, memorize, meditate on, and talk about the Word of God. Read. Most of us are okay with that. Memorize, that's work. Meditate, not sure I even know what that means. Talk about the Word of God. David said, I have hidden your Word in my heart. Why? That I wouldn't sin against you. Psalm 1, beautiful, beautiful picture of the man the person who builds their life on the Word of God. It says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And then on that law, he meditates, he focuses, he prays, he meditates day and night. And what does it produce in him? He's like a tree. He's stable, planted by streams of water. He's refreshed, which yields its fruit in season. He's producing something, and his leaf does not wither. He endures, and in all that he does, he prospers. That's what it produces. We have a Bible reading plan, by the way. If you don't have something guiding you through the Word of God on your way out at the welcome desk right out there, there's a Bible reading plan. It just tells you every day, read this. tells you how to journal. Grab that. The fruit of living this life, joy in Jesus, worthy of the gospel. The fruit of rejoicing in the Lord. The fruit of being gracious to others. Of praying about everything. Of guarding my eyes and my ears. Here's the fruit. Verse 7 and verse 9 are the result. And the peace Christ, which passes all understanding. The peace of God will guard, defend your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And what you have learned, verse 9, and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You want the peace of God? You better be walking with the God of peace walking with the God of peace. So here's how we're going to end this morning. Um, we're seeing in a time of prayer. And for some of you this morning, Philip's just going to sing for a moment. Some of you, you need to actually get on your knees at your chair, put your elbows in your chair, and to begin to confess, I have an out-of-control thought life that is unsurrendered to Jesus, and I need help. Some of you need to get up maybe and grab your spouse or your kids right now. And you need to just come get at the altar and say, Father, we need a fresh experience of the joy of the Lord. We need to lay some burdens down. We need to lay some anxiety down. We need this, we need this peace that guards. We need the God of peace. Some of you just need to come get at the altar by yourself with your family. Some of you need to come let us pray with you. But we're going to respond in prayer. And we're just going to linger for a moment.
How's your thought life? What is God doing? What's He calling you to? Do you need the joy of the Lord? What do you need Jesus to do? Father, I just pray that for the next few moments, this room would be filled with obedience. Help us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen.